You're listening to the Forefront Church Sermon Podcast. Forefront Church is a progressive Christian community more interested in asking good questions than having all the right answers. Thanks for listening. So there is this prophecy. It's a prophecy that's been shared around tables and around fires, and it's been told over and over. It's a prophecy that comes from the book of Zechariah. Zechariah basically says, hey, there's going to be a time when God is going to make sure that anyone who oppresses Israel is going to be vanquished. That is going to happen, and it's going to happen when the Messiah comes. And so people are waiting for this time. Israel is waiting for the Messiah to come, and they are waiting to no longer be oppressed, and they are waiting to be independent. They are hopeful in their waiting. And how is this Messiah going to come? How will they know when it's the right Messiah who is going to vanquish all of of Israel's issues and who is going to bring about freedom and independence? Well, this is how they'll know, right? It says this, Say to daughter Zion, See, your king will come to you gentle and riding on a donkey, a colt, the full of a donkey. All right. All right. We're getting somewhere. And so now all these stories that have been told, the prophecy is here and we have this guy named Jesus. And what happens? This is what happens. Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, say the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. And they brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the ground. The the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. So it's all happening. Here it is. Israel is about to become independent. There is revolution. Not only is there revolution, this is happening during Passover. And Passover is a feast of liberation. It's like a perfect storm. Everything's coming together beautifully. You could not have scripted this better. Here comes Jesus riding on a donkey, ready to bring independence. The hope is out of this world. Until... There's no hope left until Palm Sunday turns into Good Friday, until Judas betrays Jesus and Peter denies Jesus and until the disciples scatter out of fear for being killed, until those same people shouting Hosanna and waving palm branches are so incensed by the fact that their hope was lost, that they are now hopeless, that the same ones saying Hosanna are now shouting crucify him. You see, Jesus wasn't the Messiah after all, at least not in the way that the prophecy went, not in the way that the stories were told. Hope turns to hopelessness. And as we are in Lent, as we're in our last week of Lent, actually, I'm going to preach on hope today, or maybe the lack of hope that some of us feel. After all, it is Palm Sunday, which does turn into Good Friday. 
And like most of uh, the messages we've given during Lent, uh, this one isn't going to be like chock full of like good theology and exegesis. Uh, I'm not going to jump a ton into context and culture. If you do want that, uh, I preached on that last year. Good stuff. You can check it out. In fact, someone is dropping a link in the comment section. Although check it out later, you know, just stick around to hear what I have to say. Maybe, maybe anyway. And so here's what I hope. I hope that at the end of this, we find a little bit of hope. Although I don't know if it's going to come in the way that we all think. And so in order to even start this message, I got to ask y'all, what have you hoped for? What have you hoped for? Have you hoped that the time and money you spent on that degree would have by now led to a good job? Did you hope that the relationship you were in would finally be taken to the next level? Did you hope that the person who was sick would, would respond quickly and, and get better. The fact that you were sick, that you would respond quickly and get better. Did you hope that everybody would know the Black Lives Matter movement was a precursor to the All Lives Matter movement? Did you hope that when we elected a new president that kids would no longer be in cages and bombs would no longer be dropped and... Guns would be, you know, at least, at least limited. And yet here we are, kids in cages, bombs being dropped, and unabated access to guns has led to unabated tragedy. What did you hope? What did you hope? You know what I hoped? I hoped that uh, by now we'd be back in person. I got to tell you something. I don't like to preach in front of a computer. I don't know what's going on and I can't see any of your faces and I hoped it would be different by now. I hoped my kids would be back in school five days a week. I could use the privacy and I could use the lack of interruption. That is what I hoped. And a year ago this very day, my family and I had settled into what we thought was gonna be two weeks away just to let the pandemic pass us by so that we can get back to New York. You know, my, my daughter and I both have really awful asthma and we hoped that it was just gonna be something that passed quickly. We, we hoped, we hoped that that was the case. That's what we hoped. What did you hope? The people that were waving palm leaves hoped that the prophecy that they had told over and over would finally come to fruition. And those people waving palm leaves and us hoping certain things and me hoping certain things, I'm going to tell you something. I don't think that was hope at all. I don't think it was hope. I think, you know what I think? I think we've misdefined hope. Misdefined? Is that real? I think we've misdefined hope. It's real now. What do I mean by missing, misdefining hope? I think we look at hope as naive optimism. That's what I think. I think hope is this binary. It's a, it's a duality. And as we know, binaries and dualities, that black and white, that doesn't really work for us. But that's the way we treat hope. It's this naive optimism that things are going to work out in our favor, that things are going to be successful, that things are going uh, to be uh, uh, bright or good or happy or whatever the case may be. And when that does not happen, we have a loss of hope. Not the end of hope, mind you, but the loss of hope. And so hope is this naive optimism that either works out or it doesn't work out. I like the definition that I wrote down. I said this. I said, I hope uh, hope is either something that works in our favor or if it does not work in our favor, we have now lost hope. It is that simple. That's not hope, though. 
right? What that is, is that, again, I'll say it again, it's naive optimism. And naive optimism makes us put posters on our wall with cats hanging off trees that say, hang in there, because if we just hang on a little longer, we're going to make it. We're going to have that favorable outcome. We love those stories, right? We love the stories uh, about people who have hustled and hustled and went to a hundred different auditions, and they never lost hope, and that is why they have the title role in the new hit Netflix TV show, right? That's what hope looks like. We want hope to be this successful outcome. It's the thing that is successful. That is not hope. That is naive optimism. And we're willing to switch around that naive optimism when we want to or when we can. And we do it by using these catchy little phrases that go something like this. Well, when God closes a door, God opens a window, right? You see, we're still creating a naive optimism. We've just decided that success or favor is going to look a little different than we first thought, right? That's, that's the way we do it. I remember uh, my friend lost his job, and so we went to take him for ice cream, me and a bunch of other people. And we were eating ice cream, and my friend who lost his job, he goes, hey, this is really good, this ice cream. And my other friend goes, see? See, when God closes a door, God opens a window. That's how ridiculous it all is. And so on Palm Sunday, you have people expecting a political messiah, expecting political independence, hoping against all hope that their time, uh, you know, snatched up in this Roman Empire would be over. And when that's no longer the case, when Jesus dies and we are now hopeless or we've lost hope, it only makes sense that we'd want to kill the people or the person or Jesus who gave us that false idea that something might work in our favor. I get it. I get it. But you know what? Life Life is never about binaries. It's never about, hey, you know what? I'm going to be optimistic and it either works or it doesn't work. Life is not like that. In fact, I think the Apostle Paul talks a little bit about the way hope should look like or what hope might mean, or the way, at least I think we do hope in a centered and solid Christianity. And the Apostle Paul, a few years, about 50 years after Jesus is resurrected, Apostle Paul says this, he says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. All right, what do y'all think about that? That hope comes from trials and endurance and pain and suffering and all the rest. I don't necessarily love it. And in fact, maybe we need to parse that out a little bit. So, so here's what hope means. Hope means we should expect to lead with pain, trials, endurance, before we even get to a place where we understand what hope actually looks like. In other words, hope doesn't show up until everything else has failed. Hope does not show up until everything else has failed. We don't start with hope. Hope becomes the end game in that situation. So hope is when we've gone on 20 interviews and put out 150 applications and nothing happens. Hope is when there's yet another mass shooting and our country worships guns so much that it doesn't seem like any limitation or regulation will ever take place. But that's the start of hope. The start of hope is when half a million people 
die from a virus. And yeah, there's grief and there's pain, but according to Paul, this is the start of hope. It begins when the relationship ends and the money runs out and it, we have to move back home and the job gets lost and the start of hope happens when Jesus weeps in Jerusalem because he knows the people are not going to get the independence they want or even deserve. That is the beginning of hope. You, you see, I, I think the way we thought about hope before, the idea of it being a naive optimism, that sort of make hopes, it makes it like a prosperity gospel, right? It makes it like, well, if we hope enough, right? If we believe enough, if we work hard enough, if we, if we do what Jesus calls us to do, then the good things are gonna happen. That is prosperity gospel, and we've learned time and again, especially on Palm Sunday, that prosperity gospel doesn't quite work when it comes to our Christianity. See, maybe we've been hoping the wrong way, the entire time. Maybe the hope is the last thing that comes after the trials and the hurt and the pain and the difficulty and the anger and whatever else you want to fill in. Here's what I say to that. Maybe the way suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope is that suffering and endurance and character, they actually free us from the burden of having to be naively optimistic. Because you see, hope is not something that we are going to muster up or conjure up on our own. It's not gonna come from our efforts. Hope is not gonna come from our hustle or whatever else. Hope is gonna show up and surprise us. It's gonna come in a way where we're gonna be constantly amazed because we've thought there was nothing left. That's when hope arrives. So Juby and I are going through like big changes in our lives right now because that's what we do. We do hard things every now and again just to, I don't know, to put ourselves in crisis, I, I suppose. And we had this impromptu dinner the other night. And at our impromptu dinner, we both talked about how hard some of these changes have been. They've brought anxiety. They've brought uncertainty. They, 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 we feel like we're on uneven footing. It's, it's kind of scary. And so we said to one another, hey, Maybe, maybe we shouldn't be doing this. Maybe we shouldn't be taking these big chances right now. Maybe, maybe we're wrong. And I thought about 2009. You see, in the year 2009, Juby and I moved to New York. I was coming back to the place where I grew up and, and our kids were 17 months old and three weeks old. And we cried because we didn't know how to get strollers down subway steps. And I went to Food Emporium and I bought three bags of groceries and it cost a hundred bucks. And I was like, we can't afford this and what are we doing? And then the job I took, that job, it failed spectacularly to where I was out of a job as soon as we moved to New York. And I look at that time and, I, and we looked at that time and we said to one another, we said, you know, that, that felt like the end. That felt like failure. And yet all of that, got us to where we are right now, got us to this place where we have a community that we love and we're passionate about and a community that even in the midst of pandemic is thriving. And, and Juby, it's gotten you to a place where you can even take this next big chance. And, and all of a sudden we both, <laughs> we both were like, is this, is this hope? Is this what hope feels like? Does it come in surprising ways? Does it feel a little preposterous? And does it show up after everything else has been done? Uh, maybe, but I like, I like what this woman says. Her name is Kristen Laurie and Kristen Laurie says this about hope and I will tell you about it as soon as I find it, but I haven't been able to find it yet. 
Here it is. She says this. She says, hope is an encounter that captivates our imagination. So we can't help but become more than who we thought we were. And we find ourselves living for something that all at once is preposterous and impossible. This is the hope that we look for. The hope that shows up in the preposterous and the impossible. I like to call it apocalyptic hope. In fact, I think that's what Paul is talking about. Apocalyptic hope. Now this word apocalypse, uh, you know, I used to think that it meant the end. Like apocalypse is the end, the destruction of something. It gets torn down, it's finished. But when you break apart the word in the Greek, it's actually the apocalypse. It actually means to uncover or to reveal or to lay bare. You see, apocalypse isn't the ending of something. Apocalypse is when something shows itself for the first time, right? It reveals itself. Did you know this? Fun fact, ready? The book of Revelation used to be called the book of the apocalypse. That's what it used to be called, right? It was this unveiling, this uncovering, something is being laid bare. And about the 13th century, they were like, you know what? That is like a misleading title because people still think it means the end. So why don't we call it Revelation? The revealing, right? It's kind of the same thing. And so when I think about apocalyptic hope, I'm thinking about the thing that is uncovered, the thing that is revealed to us, the thing that is laid bare to us, right? Like, like Cheryl Laurie says, the thing that is preposterous and the thing that is impossible, that is apocalyptic hope. Now, I started thinking about apocalyptic hope uh, this past week, because this past week you all started posting on your social media and you were like, oh my gosh, it was a year ago today that I started quarantining, or it was a year ago today that I taught my kids at home for the first time in what we now know would be a year, or today was the first day I put on a mask, or whatever the case may be, it's been a year since we've done that. And yeah, there's so much division, and there's a lot of people who believe in conspiracies, and there's been a lot of frustration around it, but it got me thinking. It got me thinking that by and large, by and large, humanity, when we found out that this was going to be a big deal, by and large, we decided on a dime to turn and change our lives. We adapted in ways that none of us in our lifetimes had ever had to adapt. We figured it out. We started teaching our kids at home and we did quarantine and we did move if we had to move. We did all the things we had to do. We did church online and we're still doing it. And when I started looking at those posts, I was like, how impossible and preposterous is it that for the most part, in the majority anyway, a group of people on a dime turned and changed their entire lives. That made me feel hopeful for humanity. You see that, feels like apocalyptic hope. That feels like apocalyptic hope to me. I think about the fact I've been, you know, very outspoken about my own issues surrounding mental health and we've preached on it and all the rest. And I think about that and I think about in my times and I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I hate this. I don't want to do this anymore. This feels miserable. I feel miserable. I can't function. That I get emails from some of y'all and you're like, hey, I'm getting help for my mental illness for the first time ever. Or my mental challenges are real and I'm finally telling people about them and I don't feel ashamed. Or the church is doing a great job speaking about this and all of a sudden I'm like, oh my gosh, that's preposterous that there's hope for people in the midst of what feels like major depressive disorders. See, when it's all laid bare and it's all out there and there's the trials and the tribulations and everything else, at the end of that, there is hope. 
Now, I want to be careful about the next one because there are many of us and many of you who have known that for hundreds of years, oppression in America has systemically affected our people of color, our, our siblings of color, right? We know that. And then this year, we have seen uh, another group of people, more people who finally have said and opened their eyes and have gone, oh my gosh, this is no longer tenable. Like, this is untenable. The fact that people of color have suffered this way for so long, and we will no longer stand for it, and we will work alongside the people that have known this whole time that this is an issue and a problem. And so not for everybody, and I want to be careful to say that. Not for everybody, but for some... At the end of trial and tribulation, there's a sense in which there is hope that humanity will no longer stand for the systemic oppression of our fellow siblings. There's hope. How else is there hope? You know, this one's going to sound kind of funny, but it's true. <laughs> I was in the shower the other day and I was thinking about this podcast I listened to and in the podcast somebody said, you know what, I was sitting in the DMV and at the DMV where I hate everything and everybody, all of a sudden I read this sign. And the sign says, we make sure that 33 million drivers are insured and have licenses and have cars that are registered. And this person was like, oh my gosh. You know, as much as we hate the DMV, there's a whole structure and a whole system there to make sure that 33 million cars are registered just in this state alone. And I'm sitting there in the shower thinking about that and water's coming down on me and I'm like, oh my gosh, hundreds of people right now are at work treating water, cleaning water to make sure that I can take a shower at this very moment. And it's not only for me, it's for 8 million people in New York City. We have structures doing that. And in the midst of like, trials and in the midst of me hating the city in some respect and in the midst of me like you know looking so much at the inequities I'm like I'm gonna stop for a minute and talk about how preposterous and how impossible it is that we have systems and structures in place that take care of us the way they do and that the preposterous and impossible that hope it could be for everyone it could be and I felt hope you see, hope is not naive optimism. Hope is, does not mean success right away. Hope comes at the end when you think it's all messed up and it, it's, it's, it's no good and I am going through the trials and I am going through the tribulation and all the rest and then hope pops up and goes, but not quite, not quite. You see, hope is when Jesus Christ comes into town on a donkey and everybody believes hope is lost. And then the epitome of what we've talked about, this apocalyptic hope happens. Jesus is tortured. Jesus is beaten and flogged and killed. And you want to know the most impossible and preposterous thing of all? That in one week's time, we have hope in a beautiful, life-changing, and profound resurrection. That, that is apocalyptic hope. That is what it is. And so today, when you are feeling at the end of your rope, in the midst of trials, hope is not something you're going to conjure up. Hope is not something that's gonna happen because you keep hustling. Hope is gonna reveal itself. It's gonna reveal that it's always been there. There's gonna be an unveiling. It's going to surprise you. You're gonna be like, that's impossible. And then we'll remember, well, that's what we thought about the resurrection. So two things. Two things I want you to do today. I want you to believe in apocalyptic hope. I want you to believe that it's there and I want you to believe that hope is not the starting point. 
Hope is the end game. And in doing so, ask yourself this, what is being uncovered in this experience? What is true that has been true but is now being revealed in a way that wasn't before? What feels like Palm Sunday and is going to turn into Good Friday but is eventually going to be Easter Sunday? What is it? Can we see it yet? And I want you to know this. I want you to know at the end of your rope, that is the moment that God's going to reveal hope to you. If you are at the end of your rope today, get ready to be surprised by whatever impossible, preposterous hope God brings your direction. Keep plugging away. Keep unveiling. Keep unearthing. Because apocalyptic hope is there and it does reveal itself. My friend tells this story about when he bought this house. It was this old house. And the owner said, you know what? There's some beautiful hardwood floor underneath all this. And, and he's like, I never got to it, but you can give it a shot. And so my friend is telling this story and he goes, all right. So I pull up the first layer of carpet and there's a second layer of carpet. It looks like it's carpet from the 1990s. And I pull up the second layer of carpet and there's linoleum floor from like the 80s. And he's like, so I'm like, okay. I gotta be getting close to this beautiful hardwood. And he goes, so I'm, I'm peeling away at the linoleum and there is more linoleum underneath. And he's like, at this point, I'm like, there's no hardwood floors. And he hits, you know, peels up that last bit of the linoleum. And he said, there's these beautiful, dark, long and wide hardwood planks that now decorate and define the floor in his beautiful house. Just keep peeling away. It's gonna come. Whereas I read, keep kicking at the darkness because eventually it's gonna bleed light. And that, my friends, is apocalyptic hope. And to that I say, amen and amen. Will you pray with me? God, for those of us who feel hopeless, surprise us today. For those of us who feel broken, Show us the impossible today. For those of us who feel stuck and at wit's end, show us that that means we're at the beginning of beautiful hope. For those of us who are in darkness because we once laid palm branches and now we're screaming, crucify him, Lord, give us the grace that you offer up so freely. God, we thank you that there is never an ending. There are only new beginnings. And help us to believe and to see those impossible, apocalyptic, preposterous new beginnings today. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Forefront Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Forefront and how we're ushering in the next 500 years of Christianity, visit ForefrontChurch.com.